welcome to Side Talks. Um, it's a podcast. I'm going to be very serious. This, yeah, I'm going to do this thing solemn. where people can see us right now, which is weird, because normally it's just Brad kind of like you know, shaking his head no. Um, <laughs> but right now they can see us, so I want to do the thing like the guy from Inside the Actor's Studio. Yeah. When he's like, this will be just silence on the podcast, but I'm going to do it, where it's like... <laughs> It's an audio medium. Is it making you uncomfortable? Casey's leaving. I, yeah, I see why. This is the intro. You want to do, you wanna do a podcast? The intro? We should do the podcast. <laughs> so now it's time for a segment of the podcast called Phone a Friend, where we do just that. Phone a friend. We're going to call Lisa. This is the segment where we phone a friend. We'll see if she answers. I think she might. Hello. Hey, Lisa. It worked. <laughs> it's Rachel and Corey. Oh How gosh. are you? Hey, I'm great. So, you know what we do. We usually call you and see what you're watching. So, let okay. us know. What are you watching? All right. Well, as per usual, I never saw this in, the, in its prime. Your wife's in it. Ooh. Nikki K. Yes, Nikki K. I should apologize really quickly, too, because my girlfriend's in the room. I mean. So, and I mean, I'm getting like a little, I'm like, it's a little, like. <laughs> But you have to understand, me and Nicole Kidman go way, way back. Way back. back. Way, way back. back. So <laughs> I'm getting a head shake. Anyway, I'm sorry, Lisa. This is not, this is your time, not mine. <laughs> okay. Um, Stepford Wives. Oh, God. 2004 <laughs> edition. I'm so sorry. I missed it. I was in college. I just you wasn't. Were, you were better you know, off having missed it. I wasn't. Okay. I, okay. First of all, the intro is great. The intro is one of the best. I mean, if you remember it, it's just like archival footage of like 50s housewives making perfect things. So it's really cool intro. And I was like, this is off to a really good start. But it only goes downhill from there, you know? But I mean, okay. First of all, Glenn Close. Wow. I had no idea. <laughs> Nobody likes Glenn Close. Okay. Um, well, so. Um, this is a tough crowd. It's a tough crowd. With it Glenn is Close. really tough. My, I think my mom had your back. Oh, thank you, Kay. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, well, it really first starts off with, um, you know, Nikki is a big ad exec type at a, like, a big network, and reality TV has really hit big, which is, you know, early 2000s. It was made a lot of sense. And then this, this bro-bro shows up, and he's mad because on one of the reality TV shows, his wife left him. So he comes, vengeance-wise, and tries to kill her. And uh, so, you know, now she's had a whole... And then, oh, and then, I hope I'm not spoiling this. Um, I wouldn't worry no, trust about me, it. You're not. And then, <laughs> trust me when I tell you you're not. And then, um, okay, the network fires her, which, okay, I don't know if anyone, again, has even, you know, remembers the scene, but there's this scene where Nicole Kidman, as Joanna, gets fired, and she goes through every single emotion that an actress can, and, and she has this short, like, bl- dark brown sort of bob, and it's very 04, and she's just perfect. So if you don't watch that movie, go to about the, like, nine minute mark and watch Nicole Kidman do you can you vouch for me tone it's totally true, it's totally true. like she I mean oh like every emotion and then she screams and and then she goes in the elevator or she goes in the elevator and then screams anyway it's just pure beautiful Nicole Kidman um okay so guess who she's married to in the movie Matthew you don't have Broderick. to guess you know Matthew Broderick which he's know. a murderer guys <laughs> what like, in the movie or in reality no, in real yeah. Like we, you know, I hadn't taken a deep dive on Matthew Broderick's Wikipedia in a while, and I had forgotten about the whole, like, Tony's like, well, remember, he's a murderer. And I was like, oh, my God. So, I mean, it was vehicular manslaughter, so it's not like he went out with a knife. Like, he's, you know, not, like, going to get you. But I don't know. And it was the 80s, and he was in his 20s. Not that that excuses it, but I'm just saying it was a long time ago. But it's just crazy when you see him up there. You're like, he murdered somebody. But, you know. Isn't this what broke him and Jennifer Grey up? 
Oh my gosh! Was it? Oh, I she was it with was him. The, she was with yeah. him. Yeah, I think I she was like, I can't. Think I think that's true. Caused like a lot of romantic relationship trauma. Right, they were on vacation. It's hard to recover. They weren't in like London or England or Ireland or somewhere yeah. there. Yeah. Hickory Cross. or manslaughter is a hard one to come back from on vacation. Was it because he's driving on the wrong side of the road? That's, I don't know. That's a great question. We need to look into. We need to look further into it. Okay. So anyway, Matthew Broderick shows up, but honestly, the cast keeps going. I mean, like I said, Glenn Close couldn't believe her. She was fantastic. We've got Bette Midler, who she always seems to show up in all the movies from the '90s and 2000s. Like I didn't realize she was in so many movies until she is in all the movies. John Lovitz. I mean, yes, thank you. We have a John Lovitz fan. One. <laughs> Um, okay, and there was some other stuff. Okay, I noted there was a Zoloff, a Xanax, and a Prozac reference. All three got referenced. Because, of course, they did, you know, separate wives. And there was also an AOL burn about, like, how slow it is. Yeah. Which that age as well. Um, <laughs> and then, um, oh, so, okay, some of the things. So, again, spoiler alerts, but they, the, um, the wives are robots. And there's this one scene where... The bro bros are all at the country house, the country club, men only, boo, and they are proving to Matthew Broderick about the whole robot thing, and they showcase some of her skills, and they put a credit card in her mouth, like she's an ATM, and it was so disturbing. Like, of all the things you could, I mean, and it was, like, flat, and it went in, and, like, and but it's like an actress had to film that and had to actually put a credit card in her mouth. The whole thing about it, I just, there's some choices that... And then another choice. Okay, so I don't know if you remember this either. I bet no one does because it was so forgettable. But there was these robotic dogs. They were I, like I don't remember the robotic. Oh, right, dogs. they were. It was the kind of earlier three D animation, and they were so unreal looking and un, unnaturally, you know. But what didn't make sense is the robot ladies were a perfect, exact replicas. But then the robot dog was like fake three D, but shiny, fake metal. Like it just, you know, felt like if you have the technology to create a picture perfect Nicole Kidman robot woman then like this dog can put like put some fake fur on it or something you know like there was some inconsistencies and then um yeah like just the whole sci-fi concept really threw me and lost me because they're they're replicant bodies but then are the real bodies in a tank so with wires are I they remotely operated because you've seen this movie much more recently yeah than I but i just still so my memory is at the end it's revealed that they just have microchips planted in their head right. that controls them, and there aren't they aren't robotic uh, duplicates. Right, but there was a reveal. But there was a lady who was an ATM machine. Yes, and there was a reveal. <laughs> they show when they're trying to get her on their you know into it. They show her that they've already made a replica of her. But yeah, exactly. But then they also have the chips. And then at one point at the end, when she when it all gets sabotaged, they like press a button and all the chips quit working and everybody comes back to normal. But then like, wait, are you a robot body or are you? Where's your real body if you are a robot body? Like, what's? I feel like there's. Uh, they could have just read the script one more time before they shot the film. <laughs> this um, is what made seventeen year old Corey Kraft turn this movie off and say, "What? Come on, come the on, inconsistencies come on. here. But are do they you robots or are they just cyborgs? Do you own it on Blu-ray? No." <laughs> And, um, Kathleen, is he telling the truth? Do you know if this is one in the library? I can't keep up with it. I don't own this on Blu-ray. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Um, and then I guess the most, my last final cinematic moment, kind of a bookend for Nicole's beautiful um, emotion at getting her, you know, losing her job. At the end, um, when, again, spoiler, um, Christopher Walken, who, and that was a switcheroo. Glenn Close was the mastermind, you guys, and she was the real one, and Christopher Walken was a robot husband or a cyborg <laughs> husband or a being controlled by a microchip husband. Again, unclear on the sci-fi, but he, his head gets cut off, 
And then she like swaddles him and starts kissing his decapitated Christopher Walken robot head. And there's this swelling orchestral score. And you're just like, wow. I mean, the actors, the score, the the just general sort of um, yeah, effects here, besides that one robot dog. Like, it's all so good. But like, why is it so bad overall, you know? So it was one of these that took me for a ride. Like, I liked it and then I didn't like it. But then there was things like the Glenn Close, you know, decapitated head moment. It's just... It was a lot, but I'm glad I saw it, <laughs> and I plan to now watch the original, and which I know are totally different, but still, I want to have both of those experiences. So, anyway, yeah. It's worth it for the AOL joke, I think. Um, <laughs> also, Corey had a really good point about this film. Somehow this has come up before, that mm. Nicole Kidman... Oh, 2004 for Nicole Kidman is the Stepford Wives remake, which was a disaster, uh, the Bewitched movie, oh, which yeah. is a disaster. Yeah. But it's sandwiched between... Birth. And Dogville. Oh, God. Oh. Dogville's also 2004. So, wow. so she's doing yeah. like two of her most intense performances and then two of the Worst. least... Cheesiest. Yeah, like you've least got necessary. Lars von Trier on this bookend, mm-hmm. Jonathan Glazer on this bookend, and the Stepford Wives in between them. Which was Frank Oz, but still was terrible. Yeah, yeah. Bewitched is Nora Ephron. I mean, mm. she's not working with nobody's there. Mm-hmm, it's just those mm-hmm. two movies didn't hit because they were bad. Nicole casts the wide net. Yeah. It's true. Well, thank you, Lisa. Oh, yeah, it's you're welcome. To talk to you. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye, Bros. It's time for Pick a City. Oh, my God. So talk for a second. Just oh, no. talk. Um, oh, oh, here it is. Okay, never mind. You don't have to say anything. So this is a segment in the podcast where I like to challenge Corey all the time. And so I'm going to run my pen across several films. You guys, st- uh, or several, several cities, cities, excuse me, several cities. And I'm, I want y'all to, somebody y'all stop, okay, in just a second. And I'm going to stop on one of the cities. And then Corey is going to try to come up with a film that, is, that either takes place or was shot in that city. And I'm not too good at this. This one, he's not as good as this as he is with what's the shit, but you're still, you're still pretty good with it. So we're going to see. And by the way, part of why you're not good with it is we've gotten down to the bottom of the barrel of cities. Like, no offense to anybody if they're from one of these cities, but, like, it's, it's gotten dire. Yeah. So I'm running the pen across. Somebody yell stop at some point. Stop. Oklahoma City. Well, I saw a documentary about the Oklahoma City bombing. Does that count? <laughs> no. I, absolutely. That is... <laughs> That may, maybe is your weakest response you've ever had. In I Pegasus. know it is, but I mean, what the hell takes place in Oklahoma City? Does anybody know a film that takes place in Oklahoma City? Oklahoma. <laughs> well, that's a good. That's, that's a good one. Guess. That, that's also a Corey, very Corey Craft answer. To this Can one. anyone confirm that? Because I would, I, I truly don't know. Oklahoma so you're City. gonna, you're gonna, you're throwing in the towel on this. I one. thought my documentary response honestly was pretty valid, but okay. I mean, I, we're I, gonna I, not does anybody count agree that. that he can say I watched a document? It wasn't even a name of a documentary. It like, certainly I is a, the name a, of a documentary. The documentary, the documentary is called, is called, called doc- Oklahoma City. So wow, Oklahoma City yeah. bombing. <laughs> Okay, so you think it's fair? You think this is a fair? All right, you're gonna, you're gonna, we're gonna give it. Brad, Brad, Brad might be vetoing that. I mean, I think it's pretty weak. Anyway, we'll come back with the retractions. With with what's filmed in in yeah, Oklahoma City, like we do, or even like movies that take place there. Like last time we recorded, and nobody's heard this episode yet because it comes out next week. I picked El Paso, and was so embarrassed. Because, yes, a portion of No Country for Old Men, like you said, in the booth does take place in El Paso, very memorably. 
And I couldn't conjure that up, and I'm pretty mad at myself. And I even it. said it. I even said, mm, I'm And I said, maybe no, it wasn't filmed me, there. No, that's not right. You know, like I do. All right. Well, moving along. This is a great segment. We'll have to come back. Did such a, a good great job. Segment. Um, now we're going to pause for a second before we move on to uh, a very special segment with uh, the one and only Charlie Sanders and ask, are there any audience questions for us Yes. Uh, this this isn't a question, but I, I actually worked on the Stepford Wives remake with Brian Kowalski. Oh man! Oh wow, Lisa, you just screwed up. <laughs> so did we, though. Not only that, because at like the cast and film screening, Nikki actually gave me a kiss. <gasps> so, um, do, can you step outside for a second, please? <laughs> One of the reasons why it's such a mess, which was also good for me, because there's like a little animated sequence in it that Christopher Walken narrates. And uh, so we did that, right, and we got paid pretty well. And then, like, a month before the, se- the film previewed, uh, I got a call from the producer, and she was like, yeah, we, we had some test screenings, and we've had some rewrites. So we can't do a lot of the shooting. Can you redo this in the animation? So I got paid really well. Uh, I got paid more to do the revisions in, like, two weeks than I did for the whole thing. So anyhow, it... Um, not to say that the original script made a whole lot more sense, but it did make more sense. They had to do a lot of reshoots after the test screenings, and uh, so that's why, like, were they robots or were they microchips? Like, a lot of that stuff was uh, because, of, because of that. So. What's your excuse for the dog? Um, I wasn't involved in the dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good excuse. That's a re- take the high road. Take the high road. But not only did I get paid, I did get kissed by Nikki. So. That's worth. There's no amount of money that. that that's awesome. That's no so, amount of money. I want to. I want to be involved with hasty reshoots on a major motion picture. That's got to be lucrative. Very special. Well, Rachel knows I saw the top of her thong. Remember that her webtail. Oh, that's right. What? That's definitely a, that's definitely applause. Yes, well, that's right. So I should set that up. So I worked at a high-end furniture store in Nashville, and she and Key, both of them, two for Tuesday, came in, and they worked with this designer who worked with this designer that I assisted, and he was out for the day, so I had to like show them this table and chairs that they were considering, and it was a total surprise they came in, and everybody's like, oh my gosh, and hop above, and I had to like play it cool, like yeah, whatever, you're cool and it's fine, and then she goes to like test out the chair and as she sits down her pants were you know this was like still in the off so her pants were lower cut before the mom jeans came back and she and it went down and I saw the top of this turquoise mesh thong and it was perfect she was perfect and I told Rachel immediately and she hated me for weeks I was really mad at you Lisa yeah I know if someone's got a question I can yeah okay yeah we're, we're coming Brad's, around uh, we've got a question in the back from Andrea Krauss Oh. <laughs> so, by the way, and this is evolving into the Nicole, the Nikki Kidman podcast. This That'll is not a, where I expected this to go, right? but it, it kind of works, I actually. Yeah. I guess mine is a little more tame. I was working the Oscar Vanity Fair party one year, and Nicole came up, walked up to me and said, can I just lean on you? I need to fix my shoe. And I'm like, who am I to say you can't lean what? on me? Right? Why are so many of people in this room getting play with Nicole Kidman? <laughs> And she's very tall. No she's tall. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely tall. Thank you for confirming that. <laughs> uh, she's tall. She wears thongs. She gives kisses and leans on people. Damn it. And Why she makes good movies. 
That's good well, to you, right? Well, um, she makes mostly good movies. We just heard about... Anyway. Yeah. Other questions? Yes. Here. Corey, you mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the Coen, so I wanted to know what is, uh, since they're so consistent as well, what is your least favorite Coen's movie? And Lady Killers is not the correct answer. So. Oh, no, I love the Lady Killers. So I love all of them. Like all, they've made 17 or 18 movies, and they're all, they're all great. Uh, I guess, I guess it's Intolerable Cruelty, even though I think Intolerable Cruelty is underrated. It's really funny. It's, it's got a lot of great jokes. Um, yeah, we just rewatched it a couple months ago because it's it's just really entertaining. Um, I don't think it's too far out of their wheelhouse. Yeah, I mean it's okay. It's, it's yeah, I, I, that that has to be the I guess the default answer because I think the Lady Killers is is a little too weird to be completely dismissed, and also it's hilarious too. Um, I don't know, and I guess the other one that I put down there, but not for any reason other than I just haven't seen it in a while, is the Man Who Wasn't There. Um, and I've just kind of been hanging on to a hope that that get like some Blu-ray remaster so I could rewatch it and see it for the masterpiece that a lot of people think it is. Um, but I, I think I haven't seen it in 20 years, so I can't really speak to it in any fresh sort of way. Um, but I, yeah, I love and rewatch virtually everything else they make um, all the time, uh, as my wife can say, you know, she can confirm. Just had a little uh, marathon of. Some of the best ones, like, uh, you know, spoiler alert, my favorite Coen Brothers movie, which is going to be very high on my 200, top 200 list, is A Serious Man, um, which is one of the most, like, weirdly rewatchable movies ever made, despite, um, you know, everything that it's about, existential despair and so forth. But all their movies are about existential despair, so if you can't hang with that, you can't hang with the Coens, I guess. Anyway, that's a much longer answer than you require. But. I think we have time for maybe one more question, if anybody has one. David has one. Let's hear it. This is David's this is Nicole Kidman story. Sadly, it's not. I was curious about what films are filmed in Oklahoma City, so I just did the cheating method. Uh, I googled uh, it. This is from Travel OK. The film Elizabeth Town, which I know like uh, 10 people saw, I think. Does that count? Um, this is the blurb it says... Uh, you'll catch it, um, let's see, Orlando Bloom does a cross-country trip before yes. he visits the survivor tree at the Oklahoma City National Memorial and Museum, which Kirsten Dunst's character claims is her favorite tree in the world. <laughs> which, yeah. Oh, I would love to see Lars von Trier direct that. Have you, have you seen Elizabethtown? No. Why would I watch uh, Elizabethtown? Because it's, it might be the worst movie ever made. <laughs> I mean, oh, you, you probably should check it out yeah, at some point. I will, I will. Um, and everything that everybody hates about Cameron Crowe, except, except you know, you, also bad. Because no. you love Cameron Crowe? Stop, stop. He's in your pocket right now? Um, I like let's... Almost Famous. And now we'd like to welcome Charlie Brown Sanders the third to the studio for his segment, Film History Minute with Charlie Brown. Let's welcome Charlie Sanders to the stage for Film History Minute. Charlie. Thank you. Um, is it going to be weird if I sit and stare at the screen while I read you all a film history minute? No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. That's, that's, that's just silly. How are you all doing? How, how is Side Talks Live? I mean, Side Walks Live. Side, what is this called? Side Talks. Screen, screen Crush? 
Patrick? Okay, sorry. Um, all right, so uh, I just wanted to quickly do a film that we are screening tomorrow. You might have heard of it. It's called Thelma and Louise. 30 years ago, a film was released that attracted controversy because of its perceived negative view of men. Today, it is considered a groundbreaking movie that shattered stereotypes of women and portrayed the power of female friendship. Today's Movie Minute is about Thelma and Louise. In 1988, the movie's screenwriter, Callie Corey, wasn't a screenwriter. She was a creatively frustrated music video producer in Los Angeles looking for her true path in life. Corey had moved to LA from Nashville to pursue a career in show business. She had tried acting and didn't like the scrutiny about her appearance, nor the fact that one in four parts were for women only as prostitutes. When a comedian friend asked her to help write a sitcom, she agreed but was plagued by self-doubt about her writing until she got the idea of two women going on a crime spree, saying it was as if a light had gone off in her head. For six months, she worked on her first screenplay. Early drafts of the script were written longhand and then transcribed on her K-Pro computer in her workplace at night. The experience was transformative. Writing Thelma and Louise was the most fun I've ever had in my life, Corey says. There was no self-censorship there. There was no second-guessing. From a creative standpoint, it was the freest I had ever been in my life. I loved every moment I got to spend with those characters. She drew inspiration for Thelma and Louise's close friendship from her relationship with country music singer Pam Tillis. I love to laugh, she says. I wanted this to be a movie you could enjoy because you were watching these women becoming more and more of themselves. It was a beautiful experience, a liberating experience to watch that. When asked if the plot was based on a true story or her own experience, Corey says, it was seeing all these supposed strides women were making towards equality, but it's still very much a man's world. If you step out of line, the punishment is severe. The movie speaks to that feeling that women have not been looked at as 100% whole human beings. Corey intended Thelma and Louise to be a low-budget, independent film directed by herself and produced by fellow music video producer Amanda Temple. After shopping the project around and finding no takers, Temple showed the script to a friend who ran Ridley Scott's production company. Scott bought the film rights for $500,000. While writing the script, Corey had envisioned Holly Hunter as Thelma and Frances McDormand as Louise. Scott had a different vision. Michelle Pfeiffer as Thelma, and Jodie Foster as Louise. Both actors loved the script and accepted their roles with enthusiasm. Pfeiffer even persuaded Ridley Scott to direct the film himself after four directors had turned him down. As pre-production dragged on, however, both Pfeiffer and Foster had dropped out because of contractual obligations. Then Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn were offered to play the leads because they wanted to make a movie together. Ultimately, they decided to peer in Death Becomes Her instead, which was a critical failure. <laughs> Casting talks resumed with Streep and Cher in the lead roles, and Cher dropped out. Then Kim Basinger was offered the role of Thelma. When cameras finally began rolling in June of 1990, however, Gina Davis was Thelma. Davis had been pursuing the role for more than a year. When I read the script, I said, I have to be in this movie. It was so rare to find a script with two incredibly well-drawn female characters. The role of Louise went to Susan Sarandon, who found it revolutionary to show two women having fun on screen. She joked that friends told her she was insane to star in a movie shot in the desert in the heat of the summer for a director who loved to do tons of takes. 
The role of the charming yet shady cowboy JD was another game of musical chairs for the casting department. Billy Baldwin was the first actor cast, but he, was eventually, but he eventually dropped out. George Clooney auditioned five times. Mark Ruffalo endured rounds of callbacks. Robert, Robert Downey Jr. finally emerged as the frontrunner until Scott deemed him too short next to Six Foot Davis. Christian Slater was under consideration until Davis herself chose relative newcomer Brad Pitt as her co-star. She had spotted him during an early round of auditions and asked Scott to cast him. Perhaps the most memorable scene in Thelma and Louise is the ending. The studio was very resistant to having the story end on such a literal downer and was keen to find an alternative. Scott toyed with the idea of having Louise push Thelma out of the car seconds before it goes over the cliff, but eventually he persuaded the studio to accept the ending that had been written. For her part, Corey says, to me, the end of the movie was never meant to be a literal drive off a cliff and die moment. It was a way to say that they lived in a world where they didn't believe there was the possibility of justice for them. This was a way of letting them go while staying who they had become. So I never saw it as a suicide. Over the years, people have come up to me to say, I'm so glad you let them get away. And other people are like, I can't believe you killed them. To me, they got away. Thelma and Louise was nominated for six Oscars, including cinematography, director, film editing, best actress nominations for both Sarandon and Davis, and best original screenplay. Silence of the Lambs swept all major awards that year, with first-time screenwriter Callie Corey as the only winner. During her acceptance speech, she held her statue up high and said, for everyone who wanted to see a happy ending for Thelma and Louise, for me, this is it. Thelma and Louise is screening tomorrow, Sunday, August 29th, 2021, 310 at the Dorothy Jimson Day Theater at ASFA. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Side Talks Podcast. We did it. Only a couple of people are going to get this one. You ready? Okay. We're your own personal cinematic Kip and Henry. No, I don't get that. Kip and Henry? No. Nope. Scream it out if, if you know it. Oh, Booze and Buddies. Oh. You know what the premise of Booze and Buddies is? Yeah. Tell everyone. Tom Hanks and his buddy are ladies. They dress as ladies. Yeah. That's all. I mean, it that's is the premise, so right? canceled. Yeah, they want to live in an all women's like condo or something, right? Am I saying this right? And so they have to like the whole entire series is based on the antics that come from them having to present as women in this apartment complex. This like is a the entire series show, right? is based on this. And of course, you know, they use that to their advantage to trap women and that kind of thing. Okay, why did you look at me when you said that? <laughs> because because you love your buddy Tom Hanks, and I'm just, you know, wanna Cool. All right. Thank you for listening to Side <laughs> Talks podcast. Thank you to Boutwell Studios. Thank, Thank you to, to our you. amazing live audience. Thank you for sitting through all this. I can't believe you did it. And our new sponsor, Revelator. Yeah. Revelator Coffee. Thank you very much. Um, and, yeah, thanks. Oh, Splash96, um, who were uh, Jason Keener. We love you for our music. Yeah. Um, bye. Boutwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise.